I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me. Today's episode is the fourth and the final installment of a new series called Play Me Mono, which is produced in collaboration with the Playwrights Guild of Canada. Over the past several months, we've been hosting some conversations with some of Canada's most celebrated playwrights, recording a monologue they've written and sitting down in front of a live audience to dive deeply into their writing process. This episode features a monologue by Daniel MacGyver from his play, Who Killed Spalding Gray? This piece is an exploration of his own past and an intriguing meditation on storytelling, depression, and the celebrated American writer Spalding Gray. Daniel talks about his play, the monologue, and how he fell into a life of theatre. Intercut throughout the interview, you will hear snippets from the monologue, and at the end, you'll hear the monologue in full. Here is Daniel MacGyver, recorded live at the Red Sandcastle Theatre in Toronto, Canada. I need to tell you a story. His name, the man in the story, is Howard. And for reasons we do not need to get into right now, Howard has always known that one day he would kill himself. So Howard decides that it's time. So Howard thinks at some length about killing himself, not if he will or if he won't. That's been decided long ago. The question for Howard has never been if, it's been how. I am Daniel McIver, and I am a playwright, a writer uh, uh, from Cape Breton, born and raised, and left when I was 17, um, discovered sort of in junior high that I had some talent to write, and so ran with that, and uh, went to Dalhousie University in Halifax uh, as a and, uh, in order to, uh, I was thinking I would go into a uh, journalism program at King's, but I slipped and fell into the theater department. And uh, that was the, kind of the end of that. The thing that took me into drama was... Uh, so this is 1980, and this it was this sort of this is a thing called new wave, and like uh, and but and but it was this it was sort of like everybody kind of dyed their hair black, but at home like on their own. So there was always brown in the back. It was you only did the it was very messy kind of look. And we sat you know people sat in cafes and 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 wrote in journals and I, I and I, and basically you you sort of cultivated depression and I and I and I succeeded, and and and. 
and, and, and manifesting that. And, and I lived in a co-ed sort of apartment building that was part of Dalhousie. And across the hall was this woman who was studying psychiatric nursing named Debbie Townsend. And she, I thought we'd become friends, but I think she took me on as a project. And she kept trying to figure out why, how she get me out of my depression. And, and so she, she asked me, um, you know, what did I really want to do? And for some reason, I said, I want to be an actor, but I didn't even know that. I said it. I, don't, I think I might have lied. I don't really know wh why I said I wanted to be an actor. Because writing was always a thing. But I said I want to be an actor for some reason. And, and she said, go and ask your English professor if there's a, some kind of theater thing going on. So I went to speak to my theater professor the next day, and he said, tonight they're auditioning for Our Town. And I went and I got the lead. <laughs> so what do you do? You know, I, I actually went, I think I really what I wanted was to find a way to drink beer and meet boys. And I, when theater seemed like the right thing, which was, of course, the wrong, totally the wrong. Well, beer I got, but I were way more straight guys in theater than I thought there would be. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, I, so I, and, then, and then, you know, we were rehearsing, and, and it was, I'd never done it theater before, but it, was, it all just came very easily to me and felt very natural. And I remember the first, um, the first night I walked out on stage, I remember it so clearly, like when I, I, a crystalline memory kind of moment, and I walked out on stage, and, and I, had, I didn't know what to expect because we, we kind of, you know, it's like a, the drama society. We just opened. We didn't preview or, you know. So I walk on stage, and the light hits me, and I can feel all the people, and I just feel like, oh, this is my planet. Oh, I found my planet. And, and I don't think it was just the attention. I do think there was more to it than that, but it just felt like, there was something about, there was something about, and I know, I know this is something that we're going to want to talk about, and, but there was something true in it, in the extreme artifice of what was happening in terms of lights and a bank of seats looking at a, 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 a stage and the madness of the artifice. There was something so incredibly truthful at the center of it, and I felt that, and it felt more honest than perhaps the life I had lived. So, hanging. Yeah, well, for hanging, one would need a great height. That's the, the quick death of the broken neck. Otherwise, it's a hanging death by strangulation. And in cases of hanging deaths by strangulation, that could be three or more minutes of kicking and regret. So, no. Uh, jumping, but Howard's never been a fan of heights. Uh, poison. You know, poison's not entirely dependable, and often in cases of death by poisoning, one dies by choking on their own vomit, so that would be a terrible mess to leave for some poor soul to have to clean up. Uh, the slitting of wrists, perhaps, in a bathtub? Tidy indeed that way, but would it hurt? Would he have the courage to draw the sharp blade over the tender skin? Howard thinks not. So, carbon monoxide poisoning? Family car running in the garage? Yeah, well, that's been done to death. Drowning. 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 No, 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 not in this story. In this story, in this story, the man, Howard, Howard decides that no decision would be best. He decides that it would be best if it happened not by him, but to him, to be blindsided. So, Howard gets in touch with a man who puts him in touch with a woman who gets him in touch with a man who makes arrangements for Howard to meet in a motel room on the highway with a man named Don. Don, Don, 
Dusk and Dawn, Dawn Horchuk. Dawn Horchuk is a contractor of sorts, a man who can fix things. Howard meet Dawn, Dawn meet Howard. So Spalding Gray is, uh, I like to call him a monologist. It's actually a monologist, but monology sounds like something you need to get a degree for, so I like to say that. So um, anyway, so he's a, mon- a monologist, a mon- monologist. And, and he um, was someone that I was aware of um, b- more, first because I, I did a lot of touring of solo shows um, back in the, 90s in the early late 80s early 90s and toured internationally and I would often be on the same circuit I'd just follow I'd often follow on some months after him and people would comment on oh you remind me what you're doing reminds me of Spalding and I found I was insulted because I felt like he wasn't doing anything you know he just sat at a table and told stories of his life and I was actually playing 10 characters at a Christmas party for God's sake what how were you relating these things and and so and so I had a slightly resentful energy around him I was jealous probably too because he you know was as I say in the show friends with all the cool kids but um Anyway, um, and then, um, uh, I, so I, I developed this relationship to him before I really knew much about him. And then I started to investigate him and learned a lot about him in terms of um, the, the, the depression that he suffered and um, uh, the, 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 the suicide, that the, the, the suicide sort of hung deep, the, the specter of suicide hung over his life. His mother was a suicide and... Um, and and then I, I started. I read his journals, and I realized that he was really st- struggling with telling the truth. And and uh, for example, you know, he he did sto- he did tell stories of his life, and 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 um, um, throughout his career, he would talk about th- his own life, and and he talked about um, his wife Renee and 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 Renee was a, was a character that the audience really liked. And then when he and Renee split up he didn't tell the audience. So when he would tell stories, he'd leave that part out because he didn't want to alienate the audience who liked Renee. And when he started dating Kathy, he didn't talk about that either. So he was hiding the truth because he was trying to, he had created a persona and he struggled really deeply with that. And, I, and all of that seemed incredibly, was very compelling to me because this is a person who's sort of walking out on the truth. Or walking, you know, what I, what I mean is he's kind of walking out on the stage committed to telling the truth and yet he's manufacturing a story and and then I started to think about the fact that I'm probably doing pretty much the opposite in terms of I'm I'm probably just masking my my own life in these characters and I'm really talking about my um you know my obsessions and my baggage and 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 the, the, what I'm, my demons and what I'm struggling with is, is, is and I'm hiding it in, in sort of a, a performative thing. So I, I I started to see that maybe we were doing sometimes the same thing and sometimes I was doing what he was doing and he was doing what I was doing. So I became so so I guess what I'm saying is when I started to be able to identify with him, I started liking him more. So. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, so so that's who he is to me, and who he is to other people. I mean, people, people, you know, people were very uh, taken with what they they felt was his honest, you know, a sharing of his life, and um, and uh, um, and and he's famous for a, a movie called Swimming to Cambodia, directed by Jonathan Demme. That's how he was sort of known. He became famous for that. 
I don't want it to hurt. So there's this element in this play, there's, there's, there's me, uh, who we call Daniel, I think, in the script. But it's me, and I'm tell telling you about me. And then I talk about a thing that happened to me uh, the weekend that Spalding Gray committed suicide and, and um, that, was so, connect, that felt connected. And, and then I, and I talk about Spalding in a voice that isn't Spalding, but is not actually, but is more of a kind of narrator voice. And then I do this, and then I talk about, I tell a story about Howard. And, and the idea of that was always that I was going from this, from, I'm trying to embody Spalding's method by of being just telling the truth. But I'm very I'm I'm not entirely comfortable with that and so from that comes this the the need to invent a story. And so Howard comes from that. Um but it doesn't exactly feel like me. Um it's uh Howard feels like like um, Spalding and I had a child, and that the child was Howard. You know, it feels like a some kind of a. It's some somehow I feel like I'm honoring Spalding in that with that story. It's not the kind of story Spalding would tell, but I think it might be the kind of story that he would like. And so it feels, it, you know, I mean, I think, and I think it's become, I think it's come, it's yeah, yeah, I think it's become, it's it's somehow does embody uh, or does contain uh, um, some energy of my experience of being in the world. Um, about, with also this idea of like, you know, what a wonderful way to live, you know, to live the way Howard's living these days, right? Like what a, that's, what they they asked the, the, the uh, they asked, they asked some reporter asked the Dalai Lama tell me about your day, what do you do in a day? And he said I get up and I prepare to die. Wow, all right, that's a good one. Like and so in a way that's what Howard's actually end up ends up doing. I don't want it to hurt. You don't want it to hurt. I don't want anything like that. You don't want anything like that. No, you just want to die. Yes. So kill yourself. I can't. Why not? Because you're religious? No. Then why? Because I'm afraid. Of what? That I'll fail. And you don't want to fail. No. In the past, I feel like the shows that I've done, the, so, the solo, the monologues that I've done have been, I've hidden in them. I think in Spalding Gray, it's the, it's the, the beginning for me, it was the first time. Well, I did a show before Spalding Gray called um, "This Is What Happens Next," and when I went to Daniel Brooks, who I work with on that show, and I said I want to do another show, and he said, "Well, okay, but only true stories." And so, "This Is What Happens Next" started out as being true stories. It got kind of they got it turned into a, a you know a showy thing, um, but th I think that that came through more in Spalding Gray. Uh, that the tr trying to trying to find a way to tell the truth, 
Um, uh, so, so I think Spalding Gray is maybe the first, the big, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if it was the beginning of a thing or if it's just a thing <laughs> uh, where, where I feel like I'm exposing myself in a way. In the beginning of the show, I invite someone up out of the audience, um, which, um, and I sit with them and I speak with them and I ask them some questions. And if, you know, which if you know me as a theater person, it's my nightmare. I, I, it's, it's very uncomfortable. I mean, it, I'm actually not uncomfortable. The idea of it is incredibly uncomfortable. And um, so it's there to make me vulnerable. It's there because I, I have to be unco- make myself be uncomfortable. But then, of course, once it happens, it's not uncomfortable. But, you know, you have to get past it. So um, th- th- there's something about the show, the Spalding Gray, that is ex- that's exposing even in that moment. Are you depressed? They got pills for that, you know. I don't want any more pills. You just want to die. Yes. Why? Yeah. Because, because I don't fit. You don't fit. Nothing fits. Nothing fits. No, well, <laughs> nothing fits like it used to. It never did. I just pretended. Yeah, well, who's not pretending? Are you? Oh, well, you got me there, my friend. What is it, Harold? Howard. What? Howard. Yeah, you got me there, Howard. No, this is not pretending. This is the real shit right here. Walk to walk, talk to talk, feelings, fuck feelings. Just do it. Yes. So just do it. I want you to do it for me. It probably looks like I'm being honest. Um, and I guess I, you know, I am, I am, obviously I am. But it doesn't, for me, it feels, it does feel a little bit like I'm obfuscating by just, by even doing theater. That I probably, that somehow, that in some, in some way this is a kind of an asylum. And, and if I was really adjusted, I'd be out living. You know, I mean, that's that boy. That's very extreme. But um, I, I don't. I mean, that's that sounds. That's that's that that's very extreme. But um, I guess there's a question around what is theater for that might come up um, later. But um, yeah, uh, I, I get. Yeah, no, it does feel. It feels. Um, but the thing is, what's different about it is that you, in, a, in a, like in a show like uh, I did a show years ago called Cul de Sac, and, and I play it was and I, I did a lot of transformation in that show when I would become a very different kind of person, and 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 um, and, and it looked like I was do, being being someone else. But I but I think it's but I do think that there's in all of it there's me. Yes, I think I think I think there is in all of it there is me. But I but it it's. It feels safe. It feels safer than. It feels safer than what than than Spalding Gray. But I will say that um, doing Spalding Gray, um, doing Who Killed Spalding Gray, was has been a very um, peaceful experience for me. Um, whereas the other shows have been very have created anxiety over time. But I feel the more I do Spalding, the more I fall into it, and the more it feels like a service. Uh, you know, I've I've ju- I've done a lot. I've made a lot of changes in my life in the last you know nine years, and it's been a long process. And and I and I and I think doing a show like Spalding Gray now, I wouldn't have been able to do a show like this ten years ago. Um, 
But um, I think the thing about Spalding Gray, for me, that's been most affecting is 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 that I I am required to talk about myself without making me a metaphor. I just ta- I ta- I tell the facts of me. Um, the the ugliness or the you, the things that have happened or the things that I've done or the things that I've been through in in ways that that and and because I'm trying to support uh, talking about Spalding and talking about his demons and his struggle and so I bring up mine in, in a way to to support that but um, but I don't I don't play a crack addict I come out as one you know so that's a little bit different um, I don't. I don't play a, 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 a hopeless romantic. I, I admit it. So that feels different. <sighs> you got a family? Not anymore. What are they dead? They might as well be. What you got kids? No. Uh, a son. Uh, kids, eh? Yeah. Well, your wife left. She was never there. Oh, you're a poet, aren't you, Howard? No. Ah, well, so what? There's plenty of fish in the sea. I was thinking about drowning, but I don't want to be eaten. Well, it's not like you'd feel it. I guess. So, no drowning. Why, could you do that? Sure. Follow you along the coast one night, good nudge of the bumper into the bay, can't open those doors underwater. Maybe not. But maybe? I I don't want to know. Oh, you won't. So, you'll do it? Yeah, well... Somebody's got to do it. Shake? Sure. When someone says I'm unconventional, I'm flattered by that because I think it's a good thing to be. But I think that for me, when I think about it, I feel like it's, you know, I feel like I've, I, have, I have yet to, um, to be able to articulate what I think or feel. Like, I feel like I've never actually succeeded yet. Uh, well, I, I don't know, but I, 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 sometimes I just wish I could do one thing and do it really well. Um, and, and, but I feel like I'm trying in so many different ways. Like I do these weird solo things that some people feel are, they they don't understand. Some people love and some people f- just find them impenetrable. And then I write some play like Marion Bridge, which is a sort of beloved, you know, s- summer theater thing. And uh, you know, and there's so I sort of I do so many different kinds of things that I I feel like that I, I that I, I I'll never really succeed at any one of them because I'm, they're all so different. And I'm not. I wish I could be somehow more conventional in my approach to things so that I could master something. Um, But, you know, who cares about any of that, really? But, yeah, I guess I do. So, the two men shake hands. Howard feels relieved. Even Dawn feels relieved for Howard. You don't have to know Howard's story to feel his sadness. So... Howard leaves the motel room on the highway and he goes home and he imagines that soon all this will be over. Don leaves the motel room on the highway and he goes home and in the middle of the night he suffers a massive coronary and dies in his bed alone. Here is the full monologue from Who Killed Spalding Gray by Daniel MacGyver. I need to tell you a story. His name, the man in the story, is Howard. 
And for reasons we do not need to get into right now, Howard has always known that one day he would kill himself. So Howard decides that it's time. So Howard thinks at some length about killing himself, not if he will or if he won't. That's been decided long ago. The question for Howard has never been if, it's been how. So hanging, yeah, well, for hanging, one would need a great height. That's the the quick death of the broken neck. Otherwise, it's a hanging death by strangulation. And in cases of hanging deaths by strangulation, that could be three or more minutes of kicking and regret. So no. Uh, jumping, but Howard's never been a fan of heights. Uh, poison. You know, poison's not entirely dependable, and often in cases of death by poisoning, one dies by choking on their own vomit, so that would be a terrible mess to leave for some poor soul to have to clean up. Uh, the slitting of wrists, perhaps, in a bathtub. Tidy indeed that way, but would it hurt? Would he have the courage to draw the sharp blade over the tender skin? Howard thinks not. So, carbon monoxide poisoning? Family car running in the garage? Yeah, well, that's been done to death. Drowning. 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 No, 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 not in this story. In this story, in this story, the man, Howard, Howard decides that no decision would be best. He decides that it would be best if it happened not by him, but to him, to be blindsided. So, Howard gets in touch with a man who puts him in touch with a woman who gets him in touch with a man who makes arrangements for Howard to meet in a motel room on the highway with a man named Don. Don, Don, Dusk and Don, Don Horchuk. Don Horchuk is a contractor of sorts, a man who can fix things. Howard meet Don, Don meet Howard. I don't want it to hurt. You don't want it to hurt. I don't want anything like that. You don't want anything like that. No, you just want to die. Yes, so kill yourself. I can't. Why not? Because you're religious? No. Then why? Because I'm afraid. Of what? That I'll fail. And you don't want to fail. No. Are you depressed? They got pills for that, you know. I don't want any more pills. You just want to die. Yes. Why? Because... Because I don't fit. You don't fit. Nothing fits. Nothing fits. No, well, <laughs> nothing fits like it used to. It never did. I just pretended. Yeah, well, who's not pretending? Are you? Oh, well, you got me there, my friend. What is it, Harold? Howard. What? Howard. Yeah, you got me there, Howard. No, this is not pretending. This is the real shit right here. Walk to walk, talk to talk, feelings, fuck feelings. Just do it. Yes. So, just do it. I want you to do it for me. Ah. <sighs> You got a family? Not anymore. What, are they dead? They might as well be. What, you got kids? No. Uh, a son. Uh, kids, eh? Yeah. Well, your wife left? She was never there. Oh, you're a poet, aren't you, Howard? No. Ah, well, so what? There's plenty of fish in the sea. I was thinking about drowning, but I don't want to be eaten. Wow. It's not like you'd feel it. I guess. So, no drowning. Why, could you do that? Sure. Follow you along the coast one night, good nudge of the bumper into the bay, can't open those doors underwater. Oh, maybe not. But maybe? I, I don't want to know. Oh, you won't. So, you'll do it? Yeah, well, somebody's got to do it. Shake? Sure. <laughs> 
So, the two men shake hands. Howard feels relieved. Even Dawn feels relieved for Howard. You don't have to know Howard's story to feel his sadness. So, Howard leaves the motel room on the highway and he goes home and he imagines that soon all this will be over. Don leaves the motel room on the highway and he goes home and in the middle of the night he suffers a massive coronary and dies in his bed alone. That was the final episode of Play Me Mono. This episode was edited by Gregory J. Sinclair. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.